Welcome back, Housing News listeners. This is Alcina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. Today, you'll be listening to Episode 11 of Season 3, which features Quicken Loans Mortgage Services Executive Vice President Austin Nemec. In this episode, Nemec discusses his evolution in the mortgage industry and offers insight on how best to coach teams during this tumultuous time. Additionally, Nemec touches on the nation's significant uptick in forbearance requests from financially strained borrowers, growth in the wholesale lending market, and the industry's expanding mortgage refinance volume. Thank you for listening, and here's episode 11 of the Housing News Podcast. Hey, good morning, everyone. This is Clayton Collins. I'm the CEO at Housing Wire, and we're back for another episode of the Housing News Podcast. This week, we have Austin Nemec, the EVP of Quicken Loans Mortgage Services, QLMS business. Austin, welcome to Housing News. Thanks, Clayton. Appreciate you having me. Excited to be on, my friend. Well, uh, excited to have you coming in from the from the home office today up in up in the Detroit area. Where, where exactly are you? In Detroit or in one of the suburbs? Just outside of Detroit, West Bloomfield, a suburb. Right, very nice. Well, well, Austin, I want to stick to the our, our standard housing news podcast. We're, we're really interested to learn more about you, but we also want to get into a couple of the top topics that have been crossing our news desk this week, um, two of which uh, forbearance and 2020 origination volume projections that have been just driving a lot of interest and traffic and engagement from our audience. But before we get into to those topics, uh, I found it especially interesting as I researched you and your background that you have built your career at Quicken. So can you tell us how did you get started in the mortgage industry? Did you, would you go to Quicken right out of college? Like, what's the story? Yeah, so more of a stumbling upon Quicken. So I grew <laughs> up in Metro Detroit. I played uh, college football at Hillsdale College, which is outside of Detroit. And frankly, man, I spent the most of my, uh, my college career thinking about football as if I was going to the NFL. And so when quickly realizing I'm not going to the NFL, um, I had to figure it out. And so I knew I wanted to stay in the area. Uh, I knew I wanted to work for a, a reputable company that I could you know, build a career. And I wanted to work in a commission-based job where I knew if, if I hustled and I grind early in my career, I, you know, the more I put in, the more I get out of it. And so Quicken uh, fit all that. It was Metro Detroit you know, commission sales, a good, strong company in our area. And so that's why I, I picked initially um, to, to, to join Quicken. But from then, from there, I've just fallen in love with the company, the culture. So uh, I'll never leave unless they kick me out. I'll be here till the day I retire. So today you're running the wholesale business, but let's, let's back up to that first commission role. What was, your, what was your first role at Quicken? Yeah, so I came in as a loan officer. And so it was very beginning of 2009, which people, my family, everyone, why are you getting into the mortgage industry right now? It's the beginning of 09. Um, and I said, I'm just going to do it. And so I started as a loan officer, very interesting time to get in. So it was, it was like swing with two bats. You know, I had to grind and hustle to, to find, you know, realtor relationships and, and build a refi business and, and really learn it all in a market where there weren't a lot of loans coming through the door. And then, you know, at the end of 09, when rates, you know, plummeted, you know, I had, I had spent a lot of that whole year learning it and, it and it set me up for success. So just, I was blessed to get in at the time I did to learn and then um, to, to be in at a, a very, very, very uh, t- great time in the industry with rates. And so I, I, I was an originator for three years and then uh, I, I led a team of about 20 originators for a few years. And then I uh, came over to this side of the business 
back in 2017. It's been awesome. What were some of the biggest surprises when you first transitioned from that individual contributor role to, to leading a team of 20? Like what, what did you have to learn the fastest and what surprised you about that first leadership responsibility? I mean, listen, I love, I, I quickly fell in love with sales, just communicating with people, you know, the influence and persuasion piece of it, just the human aspect. And so when I moved over to leadership, I just wanted to get on the phone and, and, and sell loans. And I realized you can't scale a business trying to um, originate loans for 20 of your team members. Although the team members loved it, it's not a scalable way. So becoming a teacher, right? Going from being a communicator to a teacher, which frankly, there's a lot of differences. And that was the biggest surprise. So just re taking a step back and, and figuring how do I teach this? How do I scale it? How, do, how can I um, duplicate myself, if you will? And so uh, challenging, but uh, certainly rewarding. And I know that the, the business at Quicken has grown and changed a lot over the last decade. Tell us a little more about that. Like what, what was the, what's the difference of the business back in 2009 versus, versus where you are today? Yeah. I mean, when I was first originating, you know, nobody knew who Quicken was. I would have to, my, my brand would be like, Oh, have you heard of the Quicken software? Like, you know, that we were kind of part of that company at one point and, and then over time, obviously, we've built a brand at Quicken Loans where pretty much everybody knows the name. And so that was a big, it was cool to be part of that transition to see that evolve and, and that happen. And then the other piece is, man, technology. I mean, again, in 09, it, you know, consumers had a diffi very difficult time providing, you know, their social online or even sending bank statements, uploading bank statements. And now you look at the, today and it went from people uh, being very uncomfortable doing it to people expecting that now um, in 10 years. Like they expect the technology, they expect to be able to upload their bank statements, they expect to be able to e-sign versus at the beginning of my career, it was a challenge. You know, people thought you were crazy to ask them to e-sign loan documents. So it's cool to see the technology come in, but the beautiful thing is that human element. And we have a saying here, you know, let computers do what computers do best so that human beings can do what human beings do best. And so to watch that technology take a lot of the, the, the computers do best things off of the human's plates to allow us to, to, to be able to sell and, and communicate and influence and persuade and bring that you know, human element to it, it's been awesome. So that's going nowhere. The technology is just allowing us more time to be able to do that kind of stuff. So today you've, you've, uh, you're now leading the wholesale business uh, at Quicken. Tell us, when did you make that jump over to, to the wholesale business? And I'm also really interested to talk about the, the technology side of, of wholesale and how a lot of yeah. the, the investments that you're making at the corporate level flow through to the, the wholesale business. Yeah, for sure. So QLMS, I mean, we've been in business for 10 years. We actually got into this side of the business, third-party channel when most were getting out of it, frankly, back in 09, 10, people were sprinting out of this channel. We actually went into it. Um, but in 2017 is when I came over to this side and we were, we were at a point in time where we built a great business, kind of a smaller um, channel. And we made a decision, listen, like we love the broker business. In fact, we start Quicken Loans 35 years ago. We started as a mortgage broker. Dan Gilbert was a mortgage broker, him and his brother. And so, the mortgage brokerage is in our roots. It's in our DNA. And we still view ourselves, although we're the largest lender in the country, we view ourselves as, uh, you know, the gritty small business entrepreneurs. We're not owned by a big bank or come from a hundred year lineage. I mean, we're, 
everyone who leads this company started as, a, as an originator. And so um, anyway, we, I, I bring that up because in 17, we said, let's take this to the next level. Um, we, we built a great business, brokers like it, let's scale it. And let's scale it how we know how to scale, um, which is over the phone, a national type of call center model where we can have our account executives who know mortgages very well. We can bring originators over from the retail side and they know our technology well. They've sold thousands of loans and have them be account executives and, and help brokers across America. And so anyway, uh, Jay Farner, our, our CEO said, hey, Austin, I'd love you to come over and, and, and lead that. So I started building out a national model of account executives for our brokers. And then um, you know, six months in, I was promoted to lead all the account executives. And then a little over a year ago, I was promoted to lead the, all of QLMS. So it's been cool. I mean, I spent almost a decade selling loans and teaching folks how to, you know, originators how to use our technology and our products on the, on the retail side. And so what's cool is I've been able to take that knowledge and tie those threads, whether it's technology, product, process, and then make sure we can extend that now out to all the brokers across America. It's been really cool tying those threads in. So I know that the, the Quicken business has a heavy concentration in Detroit for the wholesale AE model. Do you run a, a nationally distributed AE team that are, that are in market with brokers or do you keep that consolidated HQ and do more digital and, and tech enabled communication? Both. So okay. up until, you know, 2017, the majority of our account executives were outside. We call them regional. They were in all the American, major American cities, you know, getting in offices, shaking hands. And most of those folks are still with us and they're incredible. They're some of the best account executives in the country. But that model, you know, just having that singular model, um, you know, it wasn't allowing us to scale and, and help more brokers. And so we have that model still. It's incredible, the same AEs. And then we have a big center in Detroit. And then we also have, um, we have a big ops center in Charlotte with another um, nice size team of account executives there. So mainly um, some regional folks across the country the majority of A's in Detroit, and then um, a, a, another team in Charlotte. How'd the Charlotte team come to be? Was that a acquisition or just a talent pool that you, that you tried to build an op center around? Yeah, so in 2010-ish, when we uh, got into this side of the business, um, we, we worked with some folks who were in the business prior to that were in the Charlotte area, and that's kind of where we, we put some of our operational roots, QLMS side, down. And that's, that's uh, where a lot of our ops still, still is. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, well, Austin, I want to shift over to some of the big topics that uh, we've been covering in our newsroom, but I do want to come back to the, the, the wholesale market at the end of our conversation. And you talked a lot about some of the, the shifts and, and momentum in wholesale. And I want to come back to that, but I want to start with our, in a, in a big way, the, the most important and trafficked and engaged topic on housing wire in the last uh, couple of weeks, probably a couple of months at this point, which has been forbearance. And last week, the FHFA with Fannie and Freddie gave some additional guidance on forbearance payment options. So Fannie and Freddie said the borrowers are not required to repay all of their missed payments at once. Under the new program, borrowers who took forbearance due to a coronavirus-related issue will not have to repay missed payments until the borrower sells a house, refinances, or the mortgage matures. This is in contrast to some earlier guidance and, and industry interpretation. And I know that you and your team are working with uh, your broker partners on a, on a daily basis. So what's some of the, the messaging that, that you're 
sending out to the field and communicating with your partners around forbearance? Yeah, that's a good question, Clayton. And it's a, uh, it's a deep question. Because to your point, um, this is an evolving situation, an evolving topic. I mean, we have one of the largest government relations teams in the country up on the hill fighting for clarity, fighting for certainty for, for broker community, for the whole mortgage community. And it's an, it's an evolving situation. We meet with them every day and discuss what's on, what's, what, where are we now, what could potentially change. And to your point, when all of this started, there was very little clarity. And then there seemed to be clarity that, okay, these things are gonna come due lump sum. And you saw a lot of people communicate it's gonna be lump sum right when the forbearance ends. Now you're seeing a different story, like you just read it off. And who knows what it'll be next. And you're even seeing some confusion with, within our, up on the Hill and elected officials. And so while it's critical, brokers you know, are communicating with their borrowers and clients who are calling them uh, asking for, for guidance, it's also important that we're just real with, with, with Americans. And so first and foremost, uh, the advice I would give is contact the servicer, right? They're gonna, there's difference for Freddie versus Fannie versus FHA versus VA. The folks that service your loans are trained up, call and talk through the various options. But at the end of the day, the money will be due at some point in time. And so if you do not need a forbearance, uh, if you are able to make your payments, the advice I would give is make your payments because that money will come due and you'll have to pay it back. And if you don't need it, there's no reason to use it. But again, contact the service or talk through the options uh, in depth, the logistics, because ultimately that's who you're going to be going through to do it. Yeah, that topic of need is a, is a big one because I know the initial programs didn't require to, to, to demonstrate that, that need, which I yeah. think pulled a lot of people into requesting or at least considering forbearance who, who didn't really have, had not been laid off or had not been furloughed and hadn't seen a major change in financial situation. Yeah. I mean, Clayton, if I'm an originator, the first thing I'm doing is before we're even getting into servicing, I'm asking those questions. Like, well, let's, first of all, are you, are you still employed? Um, do you see yourself losing your job? Let's look at your mortgage. I mean, rates are at a historic low, lowest they've been ever. Um, what an incredible time to look at a refinance. And so again, as long as the income's there and it's the right thing to do, chances are your past clients can benefit from you know, either lowering the rate, shortening their term, keeping their payment the same. So first and foremost, look and see if a refinance makes sense. And then if it doesn't educate, um, of course, let them know, don't use it unless you have to. You're gonna have to pay it back and ultimately work through your servicer to, to, to find out the options and the logistics. Yeah. And I know some of the, gu the guidance and rules have said that filing for forbearance will not harm your credit score, but we published an article last week that there's still that notes section in, in credit yeah. reports. And, and that is going to be the, the scarlet letter, as was the, the, the title of our article, um, for, for many consumers who are borrowers who do wish to refire purchase in the coming uh, months or years. I think that guidance is being defined as we speak. Uh, but are, are you hearing from any brokers who are looking for guidance on how they advise clients of, of will this or will this not impact yeah. your ability to access credit in the future? I mean, I know this isn't like the most specific answer, Clayton, but sometimes being a pro is admitting you're not a pro. I know that sounds silly, but like, mm -hmm. listen, we're mortgage originators. We're not up on the hill making the guidelines or, or impacting policy. And so although we want to be 
the source of, of certainty and clarity for our, our past clients and really your real estate agents and borrowers. You can also blow relationships by trying to BS your way through things. And so again, just you can be vulnerable when communicating with, with again, your clients or referral network and say, here's what we've seen. Here's how people interpreted it in the past. Here's where we're at now. I'll tell you for the future, is it going to impact your credit? Some say it is, some say it isn't. There isn't certainty. And so this is where we stand. So again, uh, I know a lot of brokers I've speak with, they, they want to be that absolute source of truth. Sometimes you can gain great relationships by admitting that this is, a, this is an evolving situation and, and I'll communicate facts as they come. But I don't think anyone knows the answer to that right now. I think that's a that's a really smart approach. I mean, it's a it's a, a mix of stay in your lane, uh, but but also be be humble and and help be be transparent with your clients, and that that can never uh, that can never hurt. Austin, an, another big topic that came across our desk this week, and it's just to- a topic that's always in the mortgage industry, but but origination volume, and uh, as our country has entered this. COVID-19 pandemic and stay-at-home orders and, and a lot of markets, the real estate industry, um, home sales specifically, have, have just frozen up. But we saw some, we saw some bright spots. Uh, last week, the NBA reported on their week-over-week data that purchase apps were up 11% over the prior week. Um, we know we're starting with a low base there. Week-to-week numbers are tough. But are you starting to see any positive movement in purchase apps and, and volume in your business? Yeah, I actually literally just got out of a meeting before this call. Our purchase apps last week were up 15% week over week. The week before that, they were up 9% week over week. Your point, it was a low bar that's set across the country, but we're seeing positive momentum. And I think we're going to continue to see that. I mean, states are opening up. Um, Weather is getting nicer. You're in Michigan, right? It's going to be 80 degrees this week. I'm excited. People are going to be out looking at homes. Um, And so you're seeing a slow climb north which is, in my opinion, expected. I mean, this is a much different situation than 08, 09. This isn't mm-hmm. a fundamental flaw in the financial system. This is a, a, a pandemic. And um, our economy was booming before it. It's going to take some time to build that up. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very confident that we're going to continue to see that go north. Um, to your point, I mean, refis are absolutely booming. Records all over the place. Um, I mean, I, I know you mentioned that. You're going to, the industry is projected to be at a 30% growth year over year. QLMS, we're going to be at 100% growth. Um, and a lot of that has to do with growing both purchase and refi. And our, our partners are absolutely crushing it. So I, bottom line purchase, uh, there's a ton of pent-up demand. I think people now more than ever are really respecting the home. People are stuck in the home. They're, they're respecting the home. And People are wanting more home and realizing some, a lot of people are going to be working from home now. They want a bigger house. And so there was, there was demand before this pandemic. My opinion, it's getting pent up even more. And so I, I think the second half of the year is going to be great for purchase. Yeah, so the, the NBA numbers were, were 32% growth over 2019 for in, in the refi market and a slight 2% dip in purchase. It's essentially flat purchase market yep. over prior year, which is pretty good considering that um, we're, we're in lockdown for a good yeah. chunk of the year. Uh, so um, I, this, this might be a really obvious answer, but, but what are the drivers here? Like how, how are we maintaining stability in purchase and driving and growing at such an outstanding clip in refi? Well, how do we answer your first question? I mean, you got to have persistent patience right now if you're an originator when it comes to purchase, because listen, you're not seeing that immediate gratification, but it's going to come. 
you gotta have, you gotta trust the process. And so I know it's basic stuff, but if originators, brokers, like continue to pre-approve folks, plant the seeds, continue to maintain the relationship with real estate. I'm sure you're all doing that, but although you might not see those things popping right now, they will pop. So continue to invest time, energy, effort there. And then on the flip side of that coin, you're going you're gonna to set every record you possibly have if you're doing it right as an originator on the refi side. And so that's you know, fundamentals, man. Following up with your past clients, whatever marketing channel you're using, double down on that. I mean, the time is now. We're going to see rates stay low for a while, but don't bank on it. I mean, absolutely relentlessly invest in your business, time, energy, effort, because you've got to do both. Build the, build the pre-approval pipeline and take advantage of this bill. Stretch yourself. So it seems like in a low rate environment more than ever, you get exactly what you put into it. Like you yep. can work an unlimited amount of hours and, and close an unlimited number of refis if you're, if you're running your pipe the right way. Um, this is tough in an environment where lenders had to, to send teams home to work remotely to comply with stay at home orders and brokers are trying to figure out how they adapt to this COVID-19 pandemic environment. Um, so start off, like how has QLMS handled the, the shift to remote? And then we'll jump into how brokers are handling that. Yeah, so it was, it was pretty cool to, to witness at, at Quicken. So back in heck January, we have our, our senior leadership team called the Z team. We started pre preparing for this in January. Some people thought we were crazy or we were being paranoid, but we said from the, from the onset, we have two main priorities. It's protect the health of our team members and then protect our partner's business, period. Those two things. And you can never be too proactive when it comes to that stuff. So in January, we started taking inventory of every single team member, checking on their ability to work from home. And then we started rapidly buying equipment, computers, phones, hooking internet up. I mean, literally spent millions of dollars in January and early February equipping our team members and then testing at a mass scale. So like we would test all of operations for two days, we'd go home and test it. Then all of sales would go home and test We're talking thousands of people and ironing the bugs out. And then when it came time in early March, I believe it was to figure out what we we're gonna do, it was easy. We already done it, we tested it out, everyone was set up and we just rolled. And uh, I will tell you, other than you know, maybe spotty internet here or there, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was, it was fairly flawless. And, I'm um, proud of our team and the team we put together to, to, to make all that stuff happen because it wasn't easy, but it's been a, it's been a great transition for our team members for sure. That's excellent. And uh, let's, let's, let's talk about your broker partners too. I know the, the broker channel is a, an independent bunch. Um, a lot of people use different, uh, different tools, um, different levels of technology, technology sophistication. How are the brokers handling this shift to remote? Um, and I know in some circumstances, many were already working remote, but yeah. tell me about how your client base is handling it. I mean, brokers are incredibly dynamic, you know, that they've always had been and which is, actually, I love working with brokers. And to your point, many, bro, almost every broker might, to some extent, can set up to work from home. And so, uh, you know, watching our partners transition has been awesome. Um, you know, they can leverage the great technology that great lenders like ourselves and others can give them. And, you know, um, it's the transition's been incredible. I mean, I, I'd say more brokers are setting records right now um, this month than, than ever before. So 
So you shared that. So nationally, we're looking at 32% growth in refi volume. You shared that you're looking at something closer to 100% in, for your business. Is that a testament to the broker ability to, to manage through this uh, pandemic environment? Or, or what, what's the driver with that outsized growth that, that you anticipate seeing this year? I mean, listen, our, our partners are on fire, first of all. Secondly, we're growing a lot. I mean, you know, in 2017, when I came over, I think we had 1,900 partners. Um, we're going to have 10,000 partner companies, brokers that are set up with us by the end of the year. Last month alone, we had over 600 brokers uh, apply and get approved with QLMS. And so our, our, our longtime brokers that have been with us for a, for a while, they're just doing more business. And then we're having just a flood. I mean, a flood of brokers come in to leverage our platform um, since the, the, the pandemic. That, that's pretty incredible. 600 new uh, broker partners this month. Um, is, that, is that a mix of people transitioning to the broker model as well as existing brokers that are, are now giving you a, a look as a uh, approved um, lender? Or what, what, where's the, the main population coming from? I think it's a mix of both and the majority of it are brokers that have are, are experienced that have been approved that maybe haven't um, saw the, the, the need for our platform but especially over the last couple of months it's been eye-opening and have, um, ha, have have reached out to leverage our platform which is awesome and um, they're again the transitions with the technology that we have and like we literally built a, a brand new team um, of AEs that just approved partners now so that we're able to, to bring in all the capacity and train our partners the right way and, and, and be able to respond with the sense of urgency. So uh, to answer your original question, the bulk of it are experienced brokers. And then of course, as brokers pivot over and become uh, into the broker channel, there, there's a lot of that as well. All right, Austin, let's, let's, um, let's take a look at like the, the wholesale market overall. And we know that there's been a lot of growth and activity in the, the overall wholesale market. Um, and we also know that that wholesale market share has changed a lot in the through the last cycle. Um, we really high double digit percentages pre uh, pre financial crisis, um, kind of dipped down in the years following, and then it's just been chugging up and gaining market share over the last few years. Yeah. Um, what's your kind of estimate of of wholesale market share right now in the origination landscape, and and what's kind of and what do you think is driving that growth that we've seen in the overall? TPO and wholesale market? Yeah, so when you look at the history of the channel, I mean, back in 08 and 09, brokers, it was unfair the, what, the amount of responsibility that the industry put on the broker's shoulder, right? It was kind of a scapegoat. These are mortgage. And so you saw people, lenders, sprint out of the broker space. And so Brokers lost their superpower, which was great options. A ton of great lenders giving them great options that they could leverage and, and lean on their superpower, which is choice and optionality. Um, most of that left. That's Frankly, that's when we actually, we did the complete opposite. We got into the space. We recognized that and got into the space while others were sprinting out of the space. And so it's been a slow climb back up. I mean, um, what's to answer your question, Clayton, What's happened over the last two or three years is you've seen an intense competition for broker business. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. Competition um, 
lenders, great lenders like ourselves and others, there's a lot of great wholesale lenders competing relentlessly for brokers business is what brokers should want, should love, and it's happening. And so when people compete for business, we have to make sure our turn times drive down or we're not gonna earn the business. We need to make sure our pricing's sharp. We need to make sure we provide great technology. We need to make sure we're doing the right things. We need to make sure we're responsive. And when people compete for business, the, that's how the, 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 that's a huge factor of growth. That, of course, brokers are pros, they're gritty, they're, they have great relationship with agents. That's always been there and it's evident. But I think if you talk to any broker, the competition between us and the other top two, three, four lenders has created such a cool environment for brokers to really be served, serviced, um, which is awesome. And it's interesting, Clayton, because you know, there are lenders out there, our competition, and you know, there's even some associations that will say the opposite of what I just said. There's only a few good lenders out there and you should only work with a few. And then there's some bad lenders out there and you shouldn't work with them. Um, frankly, I think that's very self-serving for those companies and those associations. We say the opposite. There are a lot of good lenders out there. Make us compete. Sign up with all of them. Don't cut people off. Sign up with all of them and make us compete because when we compete, you win. Don't let an association tell you who you should or shouldn't sign up with. You decide that as a pro and make us compete because when we compete, you win. And that's what's been happening. We're competing and brokers are winning and we're going to compete our ass off for broker business. And the only way to win it is to, is to be the best. It really sounds like you're pointing out a rising tides lifts all boats scenario where the, the lenders compete. And if the lenders compete, the brokers get, get better product, better service, better tech. If the brokers get better product, better service, better tech, the consumer wins in the end. Absolutely. I think that's something that's missed in our industry. At the end of the day, we are lifeblood. I don't care who you are. Um, as a broker, is, is the American family looking to purchase? And you're not going to get repeat business and you're not going to win real estate agent relationships um, without giving the end client, the consumer, the best experience, the best price, the best option. And so spot on, man. Austin, love that message. Thank you so much for joining us today. Another great episode of the Housing News Podcast. Really exciting to learn more about your story and thank you for sharing your perspective. Ladies and awesome. gentlemen, Austin Nemec. Thanks, Clayton. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Also, make sure to check out HousingWire's latest podcast, The Daily Download, which is a daily wrap of HousingWire's hottest stories now available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Until then, we'll see you next week.